everybody. Welcome to back to Love Omen Radio. We have an episode here. It's Amanda. She's an ex-police officer. Going to give us some of our insight on domestic violence. First, I'd like to ask a question. The Love On Project needs your help. And I'd like to ask for it. You know, so we can make a difference. It's not just talk. We need to we need to help people in situations. They just can't find their way out. We all can help. A little bit of love. You know, ashtray money. Bottom of the sofa, money, change in the floor, in the corner of your car, anything will help. Whatever you can afford to do would be greatly appreciated. You can find it on GoFundMe, on the Love On Project. You know, I'm Curbside Tramp, your host here. We really, 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 really need your help. Or believe me, I would not ask. So let's see if I can come up with something on the fly. This is your host, Curbside Tramp. Just picking a little bit on a guitar. I haven't done that in a while. This is the first episode in about two weeks. I have to apologize. Sometimes uh, things got get in the way, in which they did. Had some other projects going on that, for helping other others, and uh, they're all important. And I appreciate you guys. So let's have at it. We have Amanda today for our guest. She was a police officer for seven years, I believe it was, as she told me. And uh, she's seen a lot of domestic violence. So in a police officer's point of view, let's talk with her and touch his base on the ordering the pizzas and things like that. So this is a long one. Um, we talked for quite a while. I recorded it over an hour. So enjoy, everyone. Hi, also I wanted to add that you can find me on Callahan's Productions on Instagram and on Facebook 
curbside tramp. And also in the subject line, I put in the GoFundMe account number, uh, name. And you can find it on the Facebook page as well. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. And enjoy the show. Hello, it's Love on Radio and Curbside Tramp here. Who am I speaking to? Hey, Curbside, it's Amanda. Amanda, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having good. me on. Oh, man, it was great. I'm glad you can have some time to call, to call in. Looking forward to talking to you. Definitely. Me too. Me too. So uh, let's jump right into it. Let's uh, tell, tell us your, your story. Well, I am a former police officer in the Metro Phoenix area. I worked for about seven years. I left honorably and in good standing. So uh, just want to throw that out there. Um, and I worked patrol all seven years. Mm-hmm. During that time, I took a good amount of domestic violence calls. That was the bread and butter of police work. It still is, unfortunately. And um, I also specialized in animal cruelty investigations. And that plays into domestic violence uh, oh. issues as well. Okay. I I uh I actually didn't really think about the uh animal cruelty being linked to that. So that's a new uh that's a new angle on the subject for me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. In two thousand ten and I can I'll speak to Arizona because like I said, I worked in the Phoenix area, so a lot of what I'm saying can apply generally to domestic violence issues, but then a lot is gonna be very specific to Arizona. So mm-hmm. With respect to Arizona, um, in 2010, pets were now actually added to orders of protection. So, yeah, it's really, it's very progressive. We're seeing more of that across the country. And it's it's definitely needed because as one of your guests, uh, I think it was the guest in the last show, she was really great. Uh, Oh, Karen. Yeah, Yeah, I think she mentioned it, that uh, so many men and women refuse to leave abusive relationships because their pets will either be harmed or killed. And yes. so in 2010, Arizona uh, had some legislation drawn up that uh, pets are now included. You can include your pet's name on an order of protection. That's great. I was not aware of that. That is, that's wonderful. Yeah. And, and sadly I saw a lot of it. Um, and you know, it's pets and children and you know, they're vulnerable and they need to be protected. And I'm glad yeah. to see that it's, I, I feel like as a nation, as a society, we're definitely moving in a better direction in the last 10, 20 years with mm-hmm. uh, progress as far as protecting people and, and DV legislation because it's much right. needed. Yeah, I, I have a question while we're on the top where we're talking about uh, protective orders. Um, you know, everyone you hear everywhere say it's just a piece of paper. But I need people to realize they still have to do it because they need that paper trail. When this person walks through that protective order, if it wasn't there, there's nothing the police can do about it. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. You bring up an excellent point. In fact, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Gavin DeBecker. He wrote the book, The Gift of Fear, which is an awesome, awesome book. Um, Mm. In it, he calls uh, domestic or he calls orders of protection uh, homework assignments that police give to women. And mm-hmm. he kind of says it tongue in cheek, but, it, and there's, there are two sides of it. Yes, it is kind of a, it is your homework assignment because you do have to do your diligent due diligence. Uh-huh. So at the end of the day, even though it is an, it's a piece of paper, it's something that creates a paper trail. It's something that creates a foundation for what you're dealing with. So yeah, at the end of the day, it's not going to protect you but it is another tool that the police can use to help you down the line. Right. Right. It's not, they're not showing up in the blind. It's not like you didn't tell anyone. Absolutely. It, it gives the police more, more teeth mm-hmm. to go forward. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, there has been things with the protective order. that still happened. It should never happen. So, all right. I have a question. If the order of protection is still valid, the people decide to get back together. What happens? That is a very good question because the police run into this on a daily basis. Um, a lot of times that happens because people will go out and get orders of protection and then they get back together. Good, bad, or indifferent, 
you know, not here to judge whether, you know, they should be or shouldn't be back together. Um, but unfortunately, let's just say you uh, had a girlfriend and she had an order of protection on you and you guys decide to get back together and you go, you go out to dinner and you're stopped on a traffic stop. This actually happened to me as far as, mm-hmm. uh, as an officer. So I'll just give you this, the story. So I conducted a traffic stop and it's interesting because I, I just needed a traffic stop to keep myself busy. And I think it was a red light violation, not a big deal. And so I, I pulled the car over and a gentleman is driving and there's a lady in, in the passenger seat and he hands me his driver's license, his identification. And she, I didn't even ask for her identification. Uh, but she just handed it to me. She said, Hey, here's mine. I said, okay. So I go back to my car and I ran him and I ran her. Uh, but the order of protection came up under his name mm-hmm. and I'm looking at her ID. She has the order of protection on him. So now I'm like, Oh, great. So I go back and I talk to him and said, Hey, you've got this order of protection. What's the story? And they had kind of forgotten about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I don't think people understand how serious that is. This order of protection we don't take it lightly. I know, yes, we say it is a piece of paper. It cannot protect you, but it is a very serious piece of paper. So when you do that, you have to make sure that you follow through with it. Because what I had to do, unfortunately, was I had to make an arrest. Because right. in the state of Arizona, um, there are certain ways the laws are written to where, you know, if, if you're in violation of, of a DV uh, statute, then you have to be taken into custody. Now, with something like this, it's a little wishy-washy because, okay, there was no violence going on. But the state writes those laws for the reason that what happens, let's just say, if they're still in the car two hours from now or they go to their house or wherever, they get into a, a fight, someone gets injured or killed, they are going to look back and say, why didn't that officer arrest them when she contacted them? So it's very unfortunate that these things happen, that sometimes people get caught up in this cycle of paperwork and they don't realize how serious it is. So if you find yourself in that situation, you know, you have to either go back to court and have it, you know, quashed or, Mm -hmm. you know, be determined to stay away from that person. But that is another thing that we run into. Yeah. And I've actually seen that through my years too. Um, And I have an opinion if it matters, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I'm sorry if I offend anyone, but if you put a order of protection on someone, Make sure you're doing it because you need it. Absolutely. And, and not because you're angry at the person. Absolutely. I have also seen orders of protection used as weapons uh, right. for people because in them, in the state of Arizona, you are granted sole rights to the property. So um, sometimes, I'm kind of getting off on a tangent here, but let's just say you have a roommate dispute and someone wants to evict the other person, mm-hmm. but they can't, then they will go get an order of protection and use it as an eviction notice. So it's... You know, it's, it is a very serious, very serious piece of paper, like you said. Yeah. It needs to be treated yeah. as such. And and it it will backfire on you, so just do it the right way. Absolutely. Okay, so I have another question for you. Uh, you know, Karen, I think believe it was Karen and I were talking in the last interview with her about ordering a pizza when you're in danger to nine one one. Yeah, yeah. Again, it was really great. She brought up a really good. Um, kind of age old debate. And mm-hmm. it's really, it's, I contacted two different dispatchers that I know both have over 15 years of experience. One has worked in quite a few agencies in uh, several States and one mm-hmm. uh, works here in the local Phoenix area. And it, it's very intriguing because I got two different answers, but I think there's something in the middle. So the one told me, well, that's kind of an old wives tale. However, dispatchers are trained to know, to listen to voice inflection, to certain keywords, to just basic communication. Um, mm-hmm. So they're going to know if something's off. So even if it's not ordering a pizza, you, you say something strange or you just give a strange vibe. They are so, these mm-hmm. dispatchers are so well-trained. They will pick up on that. That's uh, good. And so she said, yeah, even though it is kind of a quote, old wives tale, it will work. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it generally, because you, at the very least, you're going to have a dispatcher going, uh, you don't, you're not calling Domino's pizza. And then you could say, I know that. But mm-hmm. uh, the other dispatcher said, actually, we use that in training. And she sent mm-hmm. me the PowerPoint that they use for their training. It was very interesting. And it specifically talks about the pizza itself. So my personal opinion, my takeaway from it was it's somewhere in the middle that 
you can't go wrong by saying you're ordering a pizza. It's, it's yeah, not or say you're hurt. calling your mom. Right, right. It's not going to hurt you because it's just so far off base. And nine one one dispatchers, or, or I'm sorry, the, the call taker is going to say, "Wait, do you realize you're not calling Domino's?" And all you have to say is, "Yes, I know that." And they are mm-hmm. trained to ask you um, one word answer questions. So they're not going to answer, you know, ask you open questions like, "Where is the guy standing?" or "Where is the woman standing?" Um, they're going to say, right. "Are you alone?" "Yes or no." Uh, do you feel, mm-hmm. you know, are there firearms in the house? That kind of thing. So, yes, right. it, it would definitely, it can't help to use it. Yeah. I hope that and helps I, and, I, and I want to add also to everyone listening. No, no, I appreciate your input. I want to add something that I want to, that I know. Um, okay, everybody, you know, usually the abusers, they may be mean or abusive. For the most part, they're not stupid. So be careful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of them, it's a history you're dealing with. Uh, So they've been around and they know the tricks. So you're right. Sometimes maybe you don't say pizza. You ask for your mom or something. As long as it's something that 911 would go, huh. But yet maybe the abuser themselves would still think it's kind of kosher. But you make a very very good point. Yeah. Like if you're, if, if this abuser is allowing you to leave, if they're not trying to make a prisoner out of you. Um, I'm going to call my mom to pick me up right? or anything, right. my brother to pick me up. And I or- would, absolutely. And I would say with that, that kind of brings me to the next. If you are in an, a relationship that is abusive on any level, whether it's emotional, physical, financial, have a question in your mind that God forbid you ever have to call 911. You would think, what would I ask them or what would I say? Mm-hmm. It, it never hurts mm-hmm. to have to always be prepared. You know, I, I tell women and men all the time because men are victims as well, and we'll get into that. But you know, always have a plan. If if you're in a relationship that is harmful in any way, shape, or form, you need to have a plan to get out. Some people, fortunately, can get out in relatively easy, but there are so many that can't. And right. you know, I tell you know victims have a go bag, pack something with you know. Um, couple days worth of clothes, hygiene items, mm-hmm. and also start salting money away a little bit here and there. Um, if you're financially yep. tied to that person, try to, you'll, you'll probably have to do it in little increments. You'll have to be creative about it, but you have to start preparing because you know, you can't, obviously you don't want to stay in an abusive relationship, but it's not going to be easy to get out because that is the most dangerous time when we are leaving abusers. Yeah. And I can honestly say in my past, I dated someone that was abused, and I'm well aware of the to-go bag. Um, in that situation, I encouraged it, which I think shocked her, but I encouraged it. What do you mean you encouraged? Well, she was telling me about um, what she was taught to have to go bag and put money back. Because mm-hmm. one day I questioned, um, how come you got a bag of clothes? She told me about it. And I said, oh, oh, then, then keep it if it makes you feel good. So she was saying that she was the victim? She was a victim in past relationships. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I thought you meant so in relation to you, your relationship with her. No, 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 no. It was her, it was her past. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. So you know, it it was. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to say her name. We're not going to talk about it. But it was pretty, pretty bad. So she had little little things that made her feel better. When you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, there are those security things that that. Mm-hmm. a lot of victims will need and there's a certain level of complex ptsd that comes into play with a lot of these emotionally right. abusive uh situations and yeah so and and that's the the thing is um to be understanding too like you did to say hey you know this yeah. person yeah has- no i encouraged it yeah yeah, yeah absolutely because you just don't yeah. know people are it takes a long time to heal from something like this um right and sometimes they don't unfortunately yes yes it, and it's it's very sad. It yeah. has such far-reaching effects. Yeah, they they deal with it, but you know, it's never it's never never gone. No, it's it's a scar that will always be there in some some form. And you know, it's the sad thing too is that men are just as victimized as women. And I can't tell you, I probably arrested the exact same somewhere about fifty fifty as far as the amount of men and women. Um, I've seen mm-hmm. women commit domestic violence and offenses all over the place. 
and uh, to, to men. And I actually had one um, a call that I responded to that was a uh, was a, a married couple, and she had keyed his car, I believe. But he but then she said that he did it, and then mm-hmm. she, she her shirt was ripped, and her face was red, and she said that he hit her, and. Now I can't prove this because evidence is evidence. Physical evidence is physical evidence. But in talking right. to him, in dealing with people, and knowing how to spot lies, and I used to teach interview and interrogation as well. You, you just mm. know when you deal with people what you, what you're kind of getting from them. I absolutely believe she did it to herself. However, absolutely, I had to make the arrest because that physical evidence was there on her shirt and in her on her face. Because I could not stand mm-hmm. before a judge and say, well, Your Honor, you know, she did it to herself. I mean, th- there's yeah. no way, you know, my sergeant would say, okay, so you've got a person that has an injured face. She's got a ripped shirt. They, they're in this argument. You're in their living room. You're a government entity in their living room. And there, there was no arrest made. Like, th- that just makes no sense. So, and it, it really broke my heart for this gentleman because mm-hmm. I remember driving him to the police station. He was in the back of my car and he was just begging me. I swear I didn't do it. And I know he didn't do it. I know beyond mm-hmm. a shadow of a doubt, he did not do it. And that does happen. And it is, it's an absolute travesty. Can I tell you something? Sure. I, I haven't told my story to anyone. That happened to me. Oh, no. What happened? Self-harm. It's a female throwing herself down the oh. steps. Um, things like that. Um, yeah, I went through seven years of a battle, but let me tell you what. Uh, the sheriff knew that it was not me, but I still had to be arrested. Did they pursue the charges still? They, after I went to court, they dropped them. Yeah, but in the meantime, your life is ruined. You have an arrest on your yeah. record. Yeah, well, it went on seven years. It got worse than that. I'll tell my story one day. Wow. But I mean, t- let me tell you what, it happened so often, even after I got away from her, um, there was children involved. So it happened so often, I had to put surveillance cameras up just so I can prove that I didn't throw myself off my porch and oh, stuff or throw her off the absolutely. porch. Absolutely. Now you're having to protect and, yourself. Right. So I remember one day a sheriff, I ran into my children. There was a protective order put against me so I couldn't see my children. Oh, my gosh. And I ran, I ran into them into a Walmart. And they ran to me and were yelling, Daddy, Daddy, and climbing all over me. She had me arrested for that. Yep, I, I have seen that. Wow. And and one that I didn't know that she called the police. Um, I just left and it broke my heart so bad. I mean, I'm so bad. Um, and I left and a sheriff showed up at my house. <sighs> and the sheriff came and looked at my house because you got a nice house. And thank you. He, he looked at his paperwork, looked at me, and looked at his paperwork, and he said, I can tell you right now, I'm, I'm taking you in for something you didn't do. Oh. He sat down. I, I literally said, are you here to arrest me? He says, yes, sir. I said, can I get dressed? You can follow me if you want, because I was putting my eyes ready to go to bed. He said, because I normally wouldn't say it, but she said, sure. This is in Anne Arundel County, Maryland. Um, he said, sure. He actually said, he goes, I'm not going to follow you. I, I know. He goes, I go with my gut. He goes, I shouldn't be telling you this, but I'm just going to sit here and wait for you. And he did, and I said, can you, can you do me one more favor? Can you put me in the front seat because my neighbors are watching? And he did. Oh, that, that was very cool. That's, that was very yeah. cool. And, and that's the, the terrible yeah. thing is that this happens more often than not. It's, it's absolutely in your life now. Now you have an arrest on your record. And like you said, now you're yeah. spending seven years cleaning it up. And now it affects your relationship with your kids. And this is right. perfect. Well, luckily that was. No, I was just saying it's a perfect example of what we were just talking about, about yeah. Uh, yeah. OPs no. being weaponized. Yeah. Sure. And luckily that was, that was like, like 25, 30 years ago. So it's all not even there anymore. But I will tell you this too, because the police got to know me by name and know her by name. That's how much often they were called. Sure. Um, they just stop responding at some point. You know, yes, there, and that happens as well. Um, I would have houses in my beat that I work. I'm like, the minute the address would pop mm-hmm. up on my screen, I'd be like, well, there's Terry and Joe, and they're fighting over a remote control. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised how many, not to make light of this, but how many uh, fights start over car keys and remote controls. Um, this is a, a side <laughs> That's crazy. Note, but, um, yeah, and it's yeah. Just, you get to know certain people that have certain relationship 
dynamics. And mm. uh, it, and right. unfortunately, sometimes it sours the police and they go, okay, I'm out here again. It's kind of the cried wolf kind of situation, which, right. you know, and, and we shouldn't look at it. We should never look at something like that. But unfortunately, human nature being what it is, you know, you have an officer that's right. been working nine, at 10 hours and retired, you know, here we go again at this address. And so that's where I think you get a lot sure. of that. Um, go ahead. And, and you know what? And a lot of people, and I'm going to say this, people are listening, there's people out there that just can't stand police officers. Yep. And I'm going to say this. I got to say this right now. I got to say it. Now that I said that, they took me in, okay? Let me tell you what. This sheriff got off work and waited for me and drove me home. Wow. See, and that was a positive okay. experience. Okay, so you got to know who I was. That was positive experience. Even though I had to go to court, they got to know. And I'm not going to go in detail because I want to tell my story one day, one here. But they got to know me, and they got to know what wasn't true. And then in the, at the end of the game, I was proven innocent. But sadly, it took a whole um, pattern of you, you know, having to interact with them to even get that credibility. Oh, it's a lot deeper than that. Um, it was so bad. So I, I, I got to bite my lip. I, I want to tell my story, and I'm not going to do well, it. Well, I hope you do soon. So I, I will. I will. It's it's way more than just domestic violence. Wow. It, it sounds like a, a lifetime um, situation. There's a reason I'm here. There's a reason I'm doing this podcast. You know, usually people with a passion, you know, I watched, there's something behind it. Yeah, my, my mother was abused. Um, and I, I, I'll add this, too, while we're talking. You know, uh, people that are abused, usually when they're young, they wind up following yes. that path of being, they're attracted to other people that abuse them. It, it, it creates a, a, just a cycle, um, a dynamic, and you really have to do some serious personal development and yeah. and work on yourself to, to see either those tendencies or the tendency to be a victim. And like you said, right. track those kind of relationships because that's what's familiar. Right. And that's why as on my, on my, you know, on my singer songwriter side of me, that's what break the chain is all about. You got to break Absolutely. that chain. You got to stop it. Absolutely. Cause sometimes it's generational. Right. And mine was. Yeah. Mine was absolutely. Well, we only know what we're taught. You know, we look at the world from our own unique perspective, and it's very sad that um, some people just get sucked into that dynamic and they never get out. Right, they're just self worth. They don't have. They they don't value yes. themselves. They think they're not worth anything. And some people just this really tragic thing is they just don't have the resources. By the time they get so far into it, where they just don't know. Mm -hmm. I had one call one time where a gal just. I gave her some resources and I said, do you have anybody to call? Do you? She's like, no, I have nobody. And we can give out as many resources as we can as far as hotlines and websites and that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, if you don't have an inner core, it is so hard to break away from that. And I will say right. most of the police departments have really good victim services units that will help you with that. Um, I've seen them give out hotel vouchers and, and be very helpful. So most of the larger municipalities are going to have those kinds of resources to give out. And that's very helpful. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a strong support system, you are so vulnerable to getting sucked back in. And that's why the cycle just continues. Yeah. I've, I've actually heard that, you know, if you, it's, and then, you're, then, then as people call it, you're in the system, you know, nobody cares about right. us, you know? So absolutely. It's, it's very sad. And, you know, like you said, with people with children and pets, where do they go? That the shelters are all full. Um, there is, I did want to mention, mm -hmm. do kind of quick shout out. There is a shelter out here in the Phoenix area. I believe it's in Tempe. It's called Lost Our Home. Uh, I actually got one of my cats from there. <laughs> it's called What's it, what's Lost it called, Our Lost Our Home? And they work hand in hand with a shelter okay. called the Sojourner Center. And they will help with mm -hmm. people that are displaced temporarily as far as housing their animals. For, for some time. Oh. So yeah, lost lost okay. our home in Tempe, Arizona. So if you're in Arizona and you need assistance, you have an animal, I would call Lost Our Home. They're a great resource. Wow, okay, great. And I'm trying to think of, I caught me off guard. There's another place where it's a shelter for women and children, battered women and children, they'll put you in a home. Um, and I'll, I will find this out and get back on another episode. Is it, or was it prehab somehow. Uh, Autumn House? 
No, it's a it's a different uh, one. Chrysalis. My sister's place. Um, Not yet. Tumbleweed. <laughs> but you're naming them, so <laughs> you're naming them all. Yeah, so, so let's okay, get so, them going. What, all right, what do so you there know? are different ones in the Phoenix area. Um, there's one called Faith House. One called Chrysalis mm -hmm. in Scottsdale. Uh, Autumn House, uh, I believe they also use the name Prehab, and they might be calling themselves a new leaf now. I'm not sure. Uh, my sister's place, okay. uh, the Sojourner Center, those are the ones that are linked to the animal shelter, Lost Our Home. Uh, Crisis Nursery, okay. East Valley Child Crisis Center, and uh, a place called Tumbleweed. Those are all the ones that we would – I took that out of the book that I used to carry on duty with the little numbers that they would give us. So those were the ones I pulled off. Those okay. are the ones that police would actually direct you to. And there, I'm sure there are more. And there's okay. actually a website. I'm sure you've probably checked this out. It's called domesticshelters.org. And it is a wonderful, mm -hmm. wonderful, wonderful resource for all things domestic violence related. They have stories. They have uh, legislation. They've got all, I mean, anything you want to know or are interested in uh, domestic violence related, it's on this website. And it is packed full of information. Domesticshelters.org. Okay. DomesticShelters.org. Yeah. Write it down, everybody. It's just a great resource to have. And it's nationwide, so it's not just Arizona-specific. That's good. And That's domestic... Good. I wrote oh. that, can I just jump in here? I forgot to, I forgot to say this. So yeah. domestic violence, I forgot to kind of define it in the beginning, because people kind of go, we know what it is, but when, you def when you're asked to define it, you say, well, I, I don't really know. Domestic violence is pretty much just an umbrella term that we put over certain crimes. So every state is going to be different, but there's going to be a kind of a same consistency across the board. So in Arizona, for example, there are 18 to 20 crimes that we look at when we, and we look at the relationship between the two people, the victim and the perpetrator. So, and I'll just give you a quick list of those. So in Arizona, it would be assault, aggravated assault, trespass, disorderly conduct, threat, kidnapping, stalking, um, criminal damage, violation of court order, custodial interference, animal abuse, um, murder, manslaughter, obviously, child abuse. Uh, here's an interesting one, preventing the use of a telephone in an emergency. That's, that's actually serious, and I've, mm -hmm. I've charged that many times. And also abuse of a vulnerable mm -hmm. adult. And so those all fall under the domestic violence umbrella. And so when we as officers respond to crimes in progress or crimes that have happened with these situations, we always have to determine what the relationship is between the two people involved. So in Arizona, the mm -hmm. state defi defines a domestic relationship as anyone you've ever lived with, anyone you've uh, been in a romantic relationship with, a sexual relationship with, and most family members. So the, the interesting thing is if you lived with somebody in college, and then 20 years later, you go out to get a beer together and you get in a bar fight with each other. That's technically a domestic violence fight. So, it, it, oh yeah, it's, it's really? interesting uh, how it all kind of, it's, it's very far reaching. So it, domestic violence is more of a, it's a relationship definition. And so mm -hmm. when we okay. investigate those types of crimes, we have to take that into account and and say, okay, is this a DV crime? If so, we have to look at it differently because, as I said, the law is written such that in most DV cases, an arrest has to be made. And that is for a cooling down period. So um, in Arizona, right. you will not see a judge for 24 hours, um, which is good. Uh, now, in California, they don't do that. They, they have bail. So in Arizona, if you were arrested for domestic violence-related crime, you would not be eligible for bail until you saw the judge within... 24 hours. Uh, in California, you have 72 hours to see a judge, but you are also allowed bail. Um, and I, mm -hmm. it, I'm really surprised about that because especially with the OJ Simpson thing, uh, Nicole Brown Simpson, um, it, I'm very, right. it's kind of shocking that some states still offer bail uh, for that first initial period of time. Yeah, and you know, and you know it's something that's. I have to add, that's obviously it, which makes sense why I wouldn't be on your books for that. But, uh, met, uh, mental, like talking bad to somebody constantly, like a mental oh, abuse. Ab absolutely. You know that's. Absolutely. 
I see a lot of that. People don't even well, realize what they're doing. That's also a precursor to how things are going to be down the road. So nothing, you know, I would respond to these calls and talk to these victims and they, they said, well, he's not a bad person or she's not a bad person. And I believe that because nobody just jumps into a relationship with a complete and total monster. It's just that we're not going to do that as humans. Mm -hmm. So usually we get in relationships with people that put their best face forward and they're able to be really nice for a period of time. And then the people that are abusive, it comes out slowly in, in different increments and people always show you who they are eventually. And in these situations, you've got, it'll start out as emotional abuse, um, control tactics, Mm -hmm. um, gaslighting and manipulation, um, all sorts of different things. And that kind of leads me into the, new area of domestic violence, I think there's an awareness now of um, what's called narcissistic abuse. And mm-hmm. whether you want to say it's something completely different from physical domestic violence, or you want to say, okay, it, it's a precursor to what's eventually going to get physical, it is a very real thing. And it's starting to get national attention just in the last few years. And that's been wonderful. Um, the only thing about it that kind of bugs me is the word narcissist, I think, is thrown out so arbitrarily by people. I think if, if you don't really know mm-hmm. what a true narcissist is, um, you know, don't throw that word out because it is a very serious term, I'm sure. I mean, I know you, we were talking earlier and you said you've, you've had experience yeah. with them. Yeah. It, um, it's, it's a per- if you're dealing with somebody who yeah. actually has a narcissistic personality disorder, which is on the cluster B, um, and they have, they're somewhere on the spectrum of the cluster B um, personality disorders, you're going to know it. Um, this isn't just somebody that's in love with themselves. Right. Um, this, there's going to be control issues. There's going to be anger issues. There's going to be all sorts of uh, manipulation and game playing and triangulation. They're going to pit you against other people. And there will be a series of things, these things happening. And the good thing is that municipalities, um, the FBI, nationally, we are starting to recognize this as something very serious um, because it is, it's a form of abuse. And it's so insidious and it can just it can creep in um and it's not just in romantic relationships this is this can be in friendships it can be in a boss uh you know employer employee relationship um neighbors Mm -hmm. roommates um i mean just people that anyone you're in relationship with it can turn abusive and you have to know what kind of signs to look for so with it right yeah absolutely. could you give us some signs it what's Intriguing is that when you look at, um, when you study the domestic violence cycle, which is pretty much the dynamics of a relationship, um, what happens is there's kind of a honeymoon phase, and then there's what they call a tension phase, and then an explosion. And it just kind of loops back in the cycle, around and around and around. And so, you know, after the explosion, then Mm. the person will usually apologize or make right, and then that goes along for a while, tension builds, there's an explosion again. And... The parallel thing in narcissistic abuse, or what we're calling narcissistic abuse, is they're saying there's there's these three different steps which very much mirror a DV cycle. So there's that would be idealization, devalue, and discard. And so when you are in a relationship with somebody who is doing this kind of stuff, you're going to see in the beginning they're going to be very attentive. There's going to be what's called love bombing. They're going to be, you're going to be the best thing that's ever happened to them. You are their soulmate. They've never connected with anyone like you. And it's just going to be this absolute outpouring of love and admiration. And it's going to feel good because as humans, we want that kind of validation and love. And so, but they use it as a, a, a weapon. And so eventually, so they idealize you. Then eventually they will devalue you, which is like the tension phase in the DV cycle. So you're going to start, maybe there'll be some put downs. Maybe there's going to be some triangulation, meaning, um, oh, my ex-girlfriend never did that. Or, you know, they'll do very subtle things like, you know what I love about you? I love that you don't act crazy when I do this. And so they are training you not to, you know, to do what they want Mm -hmm. and to refrain from the behaviors that they don't want you to do. So it's very subtle. And then, and you know, and there are other things in that devalue, they'll gaslight, which means they're basically going to cause you to doubt your reality. They'll say something. um, Okay. Then they'll say, no, I never said that. Or you heard that wrong. And, and it's just, it's a complete mind trickery. And and you start to, when something like that happens long enough in a pattern, 
you really start to think not only, okay, am I crazy? You know, or did, did I, and then you start doubting yourself. And once that self doubt really digs in, then you are vulnerable, excuse me, vulnerable to just all of the, the stuff that follows the, the physical stuff, the, the even worse emotional abuse. So it's kind of like a grooming type thing. Um, so triangulation, gaslighting, manipulation, um, what else? Um, so those are the kind of tactics. And then we go into the number three, which is the discard. So in the DV cycle, we have honeymoon, tension, explosion. And then in the narcissistic cycle, idealization, devalue, and discard. And they are all parallel. So narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder is nothing that's new. That It's been around forever, but I think it's just now getting the attention mm -hmm. that it deserves because there are a lot of people. That, and, and it's on a spectrum, too. That's the other thing. So you might have somebody who is somewhere on the narcissist, narcissistic spectrum that is a little more malignant than somebody else. So we all have narcissistic tendencies. That's just human nature. However, when it gets into you know, the higher end of the spectrum is when it becomes malignant and dangerous. And then it starts getting into a personality disorder and they do exist on the spectrum. So your experience of a narcissist might be different than my experience, but they're going to be pretty similar. They use, it's weird. They use kind of a similar playbook. I don't know if there's like a convention, they all get together every year or something, but <laughs> it, yeah, they, they use the same tactics. And if you learn to look for this, anytime anyone is making you feel uncomfortable or, you feel that you're being manipulated or controlled. Those are huge red flags, and that usually never gets better. It will only get worse. I see a lot of gaslighting going oh, on, absolutely. that's for sure. Absolutely. And I think the Internet is, a, is a, unfortunately a breeding ground for that. Wouldn't doubt it. Wouldn't doubt that at all. Wow. There's a lot to think yeah. about. Yeah, there, there really is. It's, it's so far-reaching. And the other thing... Um, just kind of as a hot topic, COVID has unfortunately been mm -hmm. a huge role player in the domestic violence cases that we're seeing all over. Um, Phoenix Police Department reports that their domestic violence, I'm sorry, domestic violence related deaths are up by 140% since the start of the pandemic. 140%. Oh. And those are just, that's just the deaths. That's not the, the, Physical fights, the criminal damage, you know, damaging people's property, the threats, the violations of the orders of protection, the child abuse, the animal abuse. That, those are just the deaths. Um, but it, it's unfortunately, it's, it's just getting higher. You know, one in, one in three women will be a victim of uh, intimate partner violence. One in four men. And I think the number of men is higher. I really do because men, as you know, and I'm sure you probably experienced this, there's almost a sense of, I don't want to use the word shame because um, I don't like that word. I don't like the mm -hmm. word victim and I don't like the word shame, but for lack of a better word, I guess there would be like that, maybe an embarrassment. And they, so mm -hmm. I think a lot gotcha. of it is unreported. And I, I think the numbers for the, the men as victims are, they're higher. And I'm sorry, can you hear my dogs barking? I am so sorry. That's Somebody okay. Yeah. My door and they were being so good at okay. this point. <laughs> Sorry. Speaking of animal abuse, no. um, yeah. So it's it's very it's tragic. And those and those numbers, the one in three women and one in four men, that's just for the intimate partner violence. That's not in count or counting in the family relationships, the roommates, that kind of thing. So that's just taking one little angle of a statistic. Yeah, I, I know of personally. I know of a guy that went through pretty bad times of domestic violence and abuse and he would never oh, call. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I can understand why I really can. Um, but yeah. it, it takes a lot of courage and you know, the police are there for everybody. It, it's not just for women. Uh, it's men as well. You know, they're there to protect and serve and they know that and they are familiar with, with this dynamic. So if you are a male and you are in an abusive relationship, please don't don't feel strange about calling the police at all they are trained to deal with this and it happens so much more than you know you are not alone yeah i used to, i have this little saying i always tell people girl women females and males cy what is cya cover yeah. your you know what absolutely um 
you know, I told my friend that was going through that. I said, at least go to the police department and talk to yes. someone. Let them know yes. what's going on. And I think because he did that, uh, it saved his butt in the long run. Because she she, the wife did something horrific, but he had already told the police that she was going to. So it didn't work out too well for it's, her. It was part of him doing his homework. And it's unfortunate, yeah. but you have to do that. And it, Yeah. I did a lot of CYA yeah. on my end. And well, you educated, unfortunately learned so. the hard way. I did. But I come out, I come out smelling <laughs> like a rose, kind of. Depends who you ask her. <clears throat> it was yeah. still a nightmare, but yeah. And that's, and I'm sure you wouldn't want anyone to go through that. Um, no, no. That's why I want to share. Anything I possibly can share is yeah, especially what I've young people, I will. Um, the younger generation. That if they didn't have parents that maybe mm-hmm. were able to explain to them about this, or unfortunately, maybe they have parents that are abusive. And so they don't have that um, uh, point of reference of, of what is healthy. All right. And so I always say if, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I was going to say, I'll, I'll, I will share something that happened when I was young to show you how much of a difference it is now compared to 30 years ago. I'm not going to say exact how many years ago I'm, I'm dating myself. <laughs> <Aren't we all? laughs> I'm right there with you because I think we're about the same age. <laughs> I grew up. I grew up with a stepfather. He was an arson detective. He was very abusive. Very abusive. And uh, one day they gave him a gun. And he used to threaten to shoot me and my mother with it. Um, I know his, his, his on the East Coast. One of his main people, people he would investigate, he was the mob. You know, it was pretty, it was pretty ugly. But, um, yeah, so... One day I couldn't take it anymore between smacking me. He was mostly mental with me, but, you know, mental abuse, but I couldn't take it anymore. And he, I heard him threaten to shoot my mother. And I went and picked up his two-way radio for the fire department. And I told dispatch on his radio that he was threatening to kill my mom. And he hits me. And they did nothing about it. And I, that, I mean, that's how above calling 911 wow. is that? I grabbed his radio from work that the police department used and the fire department and they did nothing. And I'm sure that affected how you feel about first responders and and how they're supposed to protect you. Right. And so, you know, the next day he come in and he said, you pick up my radio. I said, sure did. I manned up as a little kid and I said, I sure did. Something happened at work though. Something went on because it changed everything. Not as far as the abuse, but it wasn't long after that my parents were my my mom wasn't was divorced from him. So I think they made it very hard on him in the fire department, but they still did no legal things wow. about it. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, there's. I don't want to speak to that, but yes, unfortunately, um, like you said, there are so many cases where you're like you're supposed to be protected, and especially as a child, how old were you? Right. Oh, I was only like, I'd wow. say 15. And that's such a form, you know, a formative age, you know, and, and you're mm-hmm. learning these dynamics and, and you know, you, you'll go one of two ways. Either you're going to attract right. that kind of relationship and be a victim or you're going to perpetrate it. And that's generally what happens, not to right. every single person, but generally that's, that is the cycle. It's just what is familiar to us because that's what we know. Yeah, so I just wanted to throw that out there, you know, and, and it it's came a long ways. Nowadays, if it happens, yes. oh, he would have been sitting yes. in jail. And you said, what, what was this, 30 years ago, you said? Yeah, yes, definitely. And that speaks ago. to how the laws mm-hmm. have changed and how there's just a greater awareness. And, you know, people right. are talking about right. it. There's not this kind of shame or, you know, closed-door attitude about it. Right. And, and I will say this much because I have to put – I want everyone, I want everyone to be okay. And I'm not telling people my part of the story to be a woe is me. It was a different time, different age, but I have to say this. Shortly after that, I got a little bigger, a little older, right before they got divorced. No, as they were getting their divorce, he used to always tell me, count the three, count the three. And he'd say, when you feel froggy boy jumping, you hit me. 
he did that one day when we're getting divorced, and I want everyone to know I kick Good his for ass. You. Okay, Good that's every time I ever be cuss on here. I I I threw him through the storm door, and he was never Good. to ever Good do that to me again. You. But you know, and so you, I had to say that. <laughs> so, so if you're listening, there, uh-huh. there comes a point where you have to protect yourself. You know, everybody has a limit. Yeah, everybody has yeah. a limit. And, right. You know, it, you, some people just can't. You had no control over. You couldn't get out of that situation because you were a child. It's not like, what are you going to put a go bag? Where was was I to go? So that's right. That's why it is such a serious thing because there are certain members of society, such as like, um, was it older, older women and women with physical disabilities show up more prevalent in the statistics. So these Mm. vulnerable populations, the children, the elderly, um, women that have, you know, either no skills or they're, they're vulnerable to have maybe mental or physical health issues. Those are the ones that, that, um, Mm-hmm. are more at risk and you know and that's what the police are for they're they are there to protect um are, are they perfect no is anybody perfect no um but it's about right. awareness and doing the, the best that we can moving forward as a society and nobody's perfect you know men and women don't if somebody gets you get in an argument and it's rare and it doesn't lay a hand on you Make it mad, whatever, storm out the door. Right. That's not domestic violence. In fact, violence. if they get mad and they leave, that is what the police encourage. We always encourage a separation. So even yeah. when we would respond to these calls that were, let's just say it's a verbal dispute and there's no probable cause to make an arrest. There's mm-hmm. no evidence. It's just two people fighting. The neighbors heard them or someone got upset and called the police. The typical um, MO for the police is going to be separate. Now, you can't, we can't kick people out of their houses, obviously, but we would always suggest, hey, maybe you go spend some time at this part of the house and maybe you go to that part of the house. And, um, and it's just basically to get people separate. Or maybe you go stay with a friend or, or something like that because that is the way to deal with it. If you right. are in a heated – absolutely. And it's really, go to the movies. <laughs> so I have to share this. I just thought of this story. Um, it was one of the last calls I ever went – well, one of the last weeks that I was working as an officer – we got called to this house and it was, a uh, again, kind of like you said, it was one that was always on our radar. And, uh, I had never been to the house personally, but the, there were a lot of officers that had it. And I was looking at the call list on the computer of who all was responding to this. And there were, there were like three sergeants going and I think there were like five or six officers dispatched. And this was just a verbal altercation. And I'm thinking, why do we have so many people going to this call? Um, no, first of all, domestic violence calls are the most dangerous call that an officer will go on, even more so than traffic stops. But but to have this many and mm-hmm. this many supervisors going, I'm like, what is going on here? And so uh, one of the other officers sent me a message on the computer. He said, hey, you know, this be careful, you know, how you handle this, because um, these this lady has complained to the mayor several times. So I go, OK, so we show up and. Basically, I believe that the victim in this relationship was definitely the husband, definitely. And they were older than middle age. They were probably in their 60s. And but there was definitely a pattern there uh-huh. and a history. And so I showed up and there were some officers that were talking to the female party and as is our way of doing things, we separate, you know, and and make sure everyone's safe. So, safety first. They're talking to her. They say they ask me, "Can you go talk to him? He's in the bedroom." So, I go over there. And I, I'm talking to him. And this poor man, I have to tell you, curbside, he was just beat down. The man was in his early 60s, and I've never seen anyone in my entire life that had so little self-esteem and so little value. Oh, my And he gosh. was the nicest guy. And, and I was talking to him, saying, what happened? You know, Well, and I don't even remember what the argument was about, but they had gotten into it again. And um, he, I was talking to him, and I said, hey, have you ever – thought of just leaving the house and just go have a day by yourself. I said, go, I said, I do it all the time. Go to the movies, go, you know, get Mm -hmm. some ice cream, go to the mall, do something that you want to do that you don't have to have anyone's permission to do. Go have a day for yourself. And I said, (laughs) I'll never forget this. His name was Larry. And I said, have a Larry day. And he looked at me Mm -hmm. and his eyes, I, it was, the only, the only times I really remember seeing this look in somebody's eyes in seven years of police work where like something clicked and something changed. And he looks at me, he's like, 
okay. And I could see him kind of nodding. I could see the wheels turning. So I go back out to the uh-huh. living room and, and he follows me out. And by that time you've got, you know, all the uh-huh. supervisors are there, all the different officers are there. And the, the woman says to him, she says, where are you going? Cause he starts packing a bag and he goes, I'm having a Larry day. Uh-huh. And he goes, I'm getting my nails done. And all of, all of the officers look down at me. I'm like, I did not tell him to get his nails done. And the funny thing was later on, so he leaves, he's off to have his Larry day. And, uh, one of the other officers said to me, uh, we were standing outside talking and I said, Hey, I did not tell him to get his nails done. Cause I, if you look at me, I don't look like your typical officer. I'm very, very girly. And, uh, so they assumed, of course, that's what I said. Uh-huh. And, uh, and he goes, no, no, I right. know you did it because a little while later when you were in the other room, uh, the gentleman told his wife, uh, I'm going to the nail salon that we always go to. So it was just, it was really funny. They all assumed I said it, but the point I'm trying to make is at the end of the day, go have a Larry day, you know, go, go have a Larry I like day. That. I like that. You're in a, uh, argument with someone, even if it's not anything in an abusive relationship or anything that's, uh, tumultuous. If you have an argument with somebody just to prevent mm-hmm. it getting worse, and to mitigate it, go somewhere else. Go out with a friend. Take yourself out. Have a Larry Day. Because there is a reason why the police encourage right. it. Well, guys, you know I'm going to remember that. So now when you, you hear me in the future <laughs> say, have a Larry Day. Have a Larry Day. I, my family uses it all so, the time because I told them the story. And um, so my mom's like, I'm, I'm having a Larry Day. <laughs> She's like, I'm, I'm going to go get a massage. I'm having a Larry Day. So Wow. Well, I, I, you mentioned to me about uh, belt buckle. Oh, yes. Story you want to tell so me? So going back to uh, what we were talking about about the police being mandated to make an arrest in certain domestic violence uh, situations, mm-hmm. I was dispatched to an apartment where it was a younger couple. I think they were in their uh, late twenties, mid twenties, and they had gotten into an argument. And uh, this was not a historically abusive relationship at all. It was just an argument that got out of hand. And she was upset. She threw a belt buckle mm-hmm. at him. And it caused like this mm-hmm. tiniest, tiniest little scratch. It wasn't even a quarter of an inch. It wasn't even really bleeding. It was just this little mark. And because there mm-hmm. was evidence of a crime, I had to make that arrest over a tiny little scratch. And so several things oh, happened here. Okay. So now she's upset and he's upset. And so as is what happens sometimes is that when a victim will call, the police show up and people need to realize that the police are not in your house to have a kumbaya. They're not there to hold hands. They, they have tools mm-hmm. to use. It's, it's handcuffs, right. videos and, and, you know, firearms. Uh-huh. So they're not there to, to hold anybody's hand. So the minute the police show up in your living room, there's a right. likelihood someone is going to get arrested. Not all of the time, but just know if there's evidence of a crime, there will be an arrest and that's for your, your protection as well. Mm-hmm. So I had to make this arrest. Um, uh-huh. The female got very, very upset. Um, we, it didn't go as far as her getting violent and I have had that happen, but she was just really upset. I don't understand it. And I'm trying to explain to her. I'm like, I agree with you. Sometimes it seems silly, but the law is written that way to protect you. And um, it, it was, it was a very sad situation because do I think that arrest need, needed to be made? Maybe, maybe not. Um, did I have, and you know, so the state of Arizona takes domestic violence related incidents very seriously. And and you have to know that before you call, just, just know that it's, you're never going to call. Just say, well, can you talk to him? I I had a lot of calls like that where, well, can you just talk to her? I had one call one time Mm -hmm. where, um, man and woman, husband and wife were fighting. Again, it was an argument and, uh, she was calling because (laughs) he wouldn't go to bed. So I got dispatched to put her husband to bed and, uh, <laughs> yes. What? So there, there is, oh, there are all sorts of different calls for service about domestic violence. Um, yes, most of them are very, you know, there are, and we take it serious, but you have to know, you can't call the police to have your husband put to bed either. However, because it is a serious situation, it is a serious relationship. They will dispatch an officer for something like that. And if, you know, God forbid there's evidence of a crime. Someone's going to get hauled away. Mm. Wow. And you also said something about the, the worst case scenario. You said there was oh, a, yes. a murder. This is or a, something. a very 
tragic um, story. So I was dispatched to a house. Um, I was working nights and um, it was just in a, a nicer middle-class neighborhood. I show up, I was actually the backup officer on this call and the uh, primary officer mm -hmm. was there before I was, I showed up and I remembered the house. Well, I walked in and it was a house filled with um, stuffed animals everywhere. It was, it was very unusual. And um, an Asian couple lived there. And I, I say Asian because culturally um, they were from China. They were Chinese. So uh, we walked mm -hmm. in and at that point it mm -hmm. was just a verbal dispute. And so uh, we just separated them and said, hey, you know, can you sleep at this side of the house maybe? And you do this. And um, so it was just a separate, you know, verbal, no arrest made. We left. About a week later, I signed on because I got on in the late afternoon. And my sergeant said, hey, I need you to go out to a house. And uh, homicide detectives are out there. I just need to go help out. It's in your beat. I says, okay. Then I head out to this house. And I, because in Arizona, all the houses look like Taco Bell, I, <laughs> I, yeah. didn't real, I did not realize that I was at that house until I walked in and I saw all the stuffed animals. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God. And oh. I get there. And this was very tragic. Um, what had happened was, I go upstairs and uh, we've got the detectives there and the, uh, the crime scene, the lab techs are processing. And uh, there were two bodies in the master bedroom um, in the bed. And they were kind of rolled up in the sheets. And typically uh, we don't touch that kind of stuff until everything's been documented and then the medical examiner shows up and then they remove everything. And then that's when we continue with getting up close and personal. So for that time period, it was just the two victims yeah. in the bed, kind of covered in sheets and we really couldn't, see what exactly had happened other than the male had um, a wound to his, his head, a uh, gunshot wound. So, and, and I uh -huh. will preface this with, it smelled terrible. It was, it smelled of decomposition very bad. I and mean, if you've ever smelled that, you know what it smells like. Uh -huh. And it's, uh -huh. yeah, it's, it's the most horrific smell. Yeah, I do. And um, so yeah. I'm walking around this house and I'm, I'm, you know, taking a kind of a tour. The homicide detectives are showing me different things because at that point I was a new officer and I was still learning about this stuff. And, um, it was very sad because there were mothballs everywhere and, and Febreze, little like Febreze air fresheners. And like, what is going on here? And, um, and then there, she, unfortunately there was a suicide note and, uh, written by the male and, um, uh, and we continue to look around and, you know, just kind of see what was going on. Event, the um, medical examiner showed up. And so we go to unravel the bodies from the sheets. Well, not to be too graphic, but she was decomposed severely. She had been dead at least three or four days before him. So he had lived with her body mm -hmm. for that period of time and slept next to her. And mm. that was the explanation for the mothballs and all the Febreze. Because I don't know if he couldn't get up the courage. Oh, my Lord. He had planned to kill himself and he just couldn't do it. Or I, I, Forgive me for using the word courage. It's not the right word. That, you know, he, he couldn't get himself to right. do that. Um, and so he lived with her body. And yeah. um, it was really, really tragic. Uh, I ended up going to their autopsies. And um, it's just very needless. So, but mm -hmm. probably about, it was a couple weeks later, I was talking to the homicide detectives and they told me, um, the female, I guess, because they had gotten a, a hold of some family members in China, and she wanted to go back to China. Mm -hmm. Here's the other thing I've heard mm -hmm. to tell you. I'm a terrible storyteller. So when I walked into the house, there was suitcases. There were suitcases right by the front door. Uh, and so what had happened was she wanted to go back to oh. China to be with her family. And they told her, and this is a cultural issue that I'm trying to get to, um, if she returned home, she would dishonor her family. And uh, because she felt she had no resources, nowhere to go, she stayed and she ended up dead and uh, he had shot her um, in the head and then he shot himself in the head. And, but the point I'm trying to make with the story is that there are also cultural factors that, that come into play. I've been dispatched to um, a house where there was an older gentleman and a younger uh, Filipino girl living with him. Um, I'm not here to judge the relationship. I don't know what it was, but she definitely was here by herself and had no resources. And and she could barely speak English, so mm -hmm. that was something he used as a manipulative control tactic. And um, you know, we were at that house all the time, and we couldn't help her because there there was just enough abuse going on, but yet no real probable cause. Like I knew what was going on, and 
and she did, we all did, but he would, he was so, like you said, going back to what you said, these abusers are so smart. They've been around and they know to do just mm -hmm. enough or to have plausible deniability. Oh, well, I, I didn't know that. Or, so it's, it's a scary thing. There are a lot of cultural things that, that come into play as well that, that I've run into. Right. Well, well, that's certainly horrific. Yeah, that's, that's all stick with me for about <laughs> I hope, an hour. I hope I'm not traumatizing anybody, but no, I, just, no, no, I do yeah. want to illustrate how no, yeah, no. serious it can be that it escalates that quickly. So if, if you get any strange feeling about a relationship you're in, start to get out because it, it never gets better. It only gets worse if, if you're in that kind of situation. Right. Right. And definitely, uh, you know, do just Google search, even if you don't know anything, Google search domestic violence, yes. help, anything. Absolutely. Information will come up. Absolutely. Just if you get, are, just uh, get away. If you're being followed by somebody uh, like a stalker or you have an ex or a, someone you're in a relationship with uh, who is following you um, in a car, say, pull into the police station. Always go to a police station. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just in. Right. Just have those tools that we talked about, you know, start salting money away, have a go bag, have resources, start doing the research, go to the websites like domesticshelters.org. Right. I mean, you go, go to, if the police station is nowhere around, go to some places. Absolutely. Always public, be in a crowd. Public, there's lots of people. Be in a crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be, don't be, um. Superman or Superwoman right. and just pull over and say, right. what do you want? Never meet these people alone. Don't do it. Because they'll try to manipulate, well, let's come over to my house and we'll talk. Or no, 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 no. You, you have to know when to set that boundary. And that's, unfortunately, um, abuse victims sometimes have boundary issues because they were never mm -hmm. taught boundaries. And so they, and that's how they fall victim to right. people that are predatory in nature. Yeah. Well, Amanda, wow, this has been educational for me. I hope it's uh, opened some eyes and helps help our listeners. Wow, I got a lot to think about. I know you guys do too. Okay, Amanda, thank you so much. Everyone, this is Love On Radio, podcast and Spotify. This is Curbside Thank you for Tramp. having me. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda.